St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay threw the city for a big loop last week when he decided not to run for re-election. And now Alderman Tom Villa has a lot to say about what this means for the city's political future. The 11th Ward Democrat joins us next on another edition of Politically Speaking. Nine, eight, eight, seven, six, six five, five, four, three, two, one. Uh, I think that is fair As to I say. As I say, hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, no, no, I think my record speaks for itself. That's a really good question. Election night on Tuesday was one of my proudest moments as mayor. It was also one of my final nights staying up late worrying about election returns. I will not be a candidate for mayor next year. That's St. Louis Mayor Francis Slay last Friday at a press conference in his office announcing he would not seek a fifth term in office. Hello, welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me as my special guest host while Joe Manis is away. Rachel Lippman, another St. Louis Public Radio reporter. And we have a guest today that knows what it's like to have run for mayor before, but also has held a lot of other political offices. He's a former state representative. He's a former House Majority Leader. He's a former statewide candidate. He's a former president of the Board of Aldermen. He's, a, again, a former state representative a second time. And he is, most importantly, the neighbor of Jay Cummel and Sarah Martin. We have as our guest today... Alderman Tom Villa from the 11th Ward. He is the alderman from the 11th Ward. Thank you so much for being here today. It's an honor to have you in our presence. As You're always. welcome. Um, before we get to talking about the impact of the mayor's decision um, and, t- and and also your background, just give our listeners a sense of where the 11th Ward is in the city, its boundaries, its neighborhoods that it encompasses. The uh, 11th Ward uh, comprises the southeast corner of the city of St. Louis. So my eastern boundary is an easy one. It's the Mississippi River. Uh, my southern boundary is St. Louis County, which is another easy one. The other boundaries are somewhat jagged. But it, in effect, it's the southeast corner of the city of St. Louis, bordered by the Mississippi River and Cronlet Park, Holly Hills area. Now, the important question is, is the YMCA in Cronlet Park in your ward? Uh, yes, it is. The Recplex is in the 11th Ward, and it is in uh, the... My area, the area I represent, yes. The, the important reason I ask that question is that is the gym that I go to at least twice a week. Oh, so. That's how you... It's the important information you need to know no, here on the Politically You appear to be sinewy. I know this is radio, but it, yeah. uh, th- that's good. So um, I kind of <laughs> gave a, a laundry list of your, your various titles, but tell us a little bit about yourself, why you got into politics. I know that you come from a political family, um, and just kind of some stories from... Your, your, your tenure in St. Louis politics, so okay. to speak. Yeah, well, the, the, the rest of the family went straight. That's the good news. Uh, my, my late father was Alderman uh, Albert Redvella, who represented the 11th Ward from 1953 until 1990, which was uh, the time of his death. Uh, he served 37 years, which is still the sitting record for any member of the St. Louis Board of Aldermen. The aldermanic chambers are named after my late father. Uh, Our family is very proud of that. Uh, Different time, different era, different city. When my dad was elected in 1953, we had about 950,000 people here. Uh, Or currently, I think the number we throw around is 318,000. So it's it's clearly, it's it's a different city. So, uh, you know, I grew up with 
sample ballots on the dining room table. I grew up going to Union Station for rallies for uh, Harry Truman. And uh, it just was something uh, that I just genuinely enjoyed. Uh, and back in those days, it was a different city hall. But, uh, uh, you know, there was an interesting cast of characters there. Uh, you know, uh, Ray Leisure, uh, uh, Tink Bradley, uh, Sam Kennedy, uh, Alderman Terry Kennedy's dad. Just just a good group of guys and gals. Nellie Joyce, Jennifer Joyce's mom. So I kind of got the, the, the bug early. And, and uh, as a result of that... Uh, my father made me a committeeman in uh, something that I guess was gerrymandered uh, back in about 1973, maybe. Right. 1974, uh, I ran for the uh, Missouri General Assembly from the 103rd District, and we were coming off the uh, Nixon landslide of 72, and that district went Republican for the first time in anybody's memory. It had been represented by um, State Representative Joe Beckerley. Uh, I, when I ran, um, I successfully defeated a former classmate of mine, Joe Fenler, who was a Republican and only served the one term. Uh, so uh, I, I regained that for the Democratic side. And if I'm, not, 19, mis- if I'm not mistaken, before you were in elected office, were you like a guidance counselor or a teacher? Yeah, I forgot that aspect of my life. I was indeed. Uh, the the uh, My first two years out of school, I was an English teacher at Augustinian Academy. Uh, two of my uh, most famous students are uh, Bob McCullough, our county prosecutor, and Greg Daly, our collector of revenue. Oh. Of and, course. Uh, oh, if you don't think I'm talented, try teaching those two Hamlet's tragic flaw. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I taught English for two years and then uh, uh, went back to school and got my master's degree in, in education, guidance, and counseling. Worked at Central High School for five years as a guidance counselor, which was a really good experience for me. I, 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 I happened to see how fortunate I was and how... Uh, less fortunate a lot of other kids were. And as a result of that, um, uh, ran for the legislature and won. And in 1975, uh, that was the end of my educational experience. So I think you were one of the first people post-term limits to come back to the legislature after having served a stint there. I'm not sure if you were the first, but that's become kind of a mini trend um, since term limits occurred. Chris Kelly did it. Nate Walker has done it as well. Ken Jacob tried to do it but failed. But you were Bob ori- Johnson. Yeah, Bob Johnson. Uh, there, as well. There's a, a, a litany of us, uh, and, and uh, that's because it's fun. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, mean, what, uh, what what compelled you to go back in 2000? Oh, I I would have uh, uh, I would have served uh, uh, in the Missouri General Assembly for nothing. It was it was just fun. I mean, there a lot of uh, you know a lot more give and take, a lot more amendment uh, writing, unlike the Board of Aldermen. Uh, it was just uh, you know it's it's like uh, it's like a circus, only the tent's not soft. It's a hard roof on the Capitol building, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, genuinely, I genuinely enjoyed it, made a lot of dear friends there. And, and the diversity of the state of Missouri in itself, I found to be completely fascinating. When, you're, when your dad is a Damon Runyon alderman uh, and, and, and you think everybody likes bingo and then you go to the Missouri General Assembly and there are some people that... Quite frankly, I don't think it ever heard of bingo. It was it was it was a, an eye-opening experience, and and the diversity of Missouri is 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 just that. It's truly a diverse uh, Confederate. I don't want to call it a Confederate rural backward state, but it's a Confederate rural and backward state. I, I'm sure you found that out in 1984 when you 
trans uh, when you ran across it to run for state treasurer. So. Uh, yeah, I don't uh, I don't recommend that for one's mental health. Uh, a statewide race in this state is uh, uh, very taxing. Mm-hmm. Uh, geographically, we're a very big state. And, and you can only go to so many covered dish dinners before you get to the point where I, I, I is this Marshall or Marceline Creek? Yeah. You, you can't take it anymore. By the way, for our listeners, uh, Alderman Villa lost that race by, I think, a, less than 1%. Basically, it was we one did. of the one of the closest statewide races probably in recent memory. Yeah, so. and we, you know, if you boil it down to its simplest terms, we lost because Walter Mondale said, I'm going to raise your taxes. Yeah. So uh, the fact that you only lost by that much probably meant you were a pretty good candidate. Yeah. But when you're down the statewide ticket, it, you're, you're a result of what happens at the top. So, uh, so um, you're in the board of aldermen now. You've been there since 2011 when you won a special election to succeed um, your nephew, Matt Villa. That is correct. Um You've been there, I guess, for a little over five years. And this, and you were board of aldermen president, but that's not the same as being an alderman. You, that was a completely separate uh, office. What's it kind of like to be in the board at this point in time after not only serving as board of aldermen president, but also knowing what your father dealt with over his tenure? Uh, yeah, not, not much has changed. Let me just say that being president of the board of aldermen is considerably easier than being a worker bee or a member of the board itself. I mean, you know, we, we really aren't, uh, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, we're, we're pretty much uh, the, the, I hate the word ombudsman, but I'll use it. We're the link between uh, the, the hole in the trash can and City Hall, the, 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 the light standard that's out in the, in the lighting division, the, the pothole in your street. Uh, as recently as last night, the mattresses, they're all over Alaska when the people leave the apartment building. That's what we Alaska do. Alaska Street, not the, yeah. not the state, for yes. those of you who yes. geographically are getting a little confused I, I'm right s- now. I'm sorry. No. So, so you know, that's what we do. You know, President, you're more, first and foremost, I mean, the, the impetus behind being president of the Board of Aldermen is you're on E&A. Mm-hmm. And uh, under our system, the actual aldermen, we don't really, we, we, uh, fiddle with the budget, but really don't impact it much. We can't add to it. So as a result of that, the comptroller and the mayor and the president of the Board of Aldermen are the impact players, and you can impact it once you catch on. One of the members of ENA had a very eventful announcement. As we mentioned in the onset of the show, Mayor Slay announced last Friday he wasn't going to run again. It took me personally by surprise because of this clip I'm about to play. This was actually part of a Politically Speaking podcast we recorded in late March, I think it was March 23rd or March 24th, where I asked the mayor directly in kind of a jovial way whether he was going to seek a fifth term in office. Here's that exchange right now. Last question. Will you be running for a super duper ultra historic <laughs> fifth term next year? Yes. Yes. What, what do you expect that campaign to bring? We, you know, I don't take this job for granted. And, and I actually do like campaigning. Um, and um, it really gives me an opportunity to really talk uh, even more so and more often about all the, all the things we're working on. I mean, you look at all these major challenges that we have just within a short period of time. We have, I have in place a staff and a cabinet. They're, they're, they're second to none. They're outstanding. They're smart. They work hard. Uh, it's, it's not just me and city government, and it's a diverse group of individuals as well that represents our community overall. We're taking a lead regionally on a lot of things, and we've addressed a lot of tough issues, some of which we're, we're, we're talking about here. This stuff's not easy stuff. Having the experience, having the talent uh, really helps us um, 
you know, we're in a position to really tackle these issues very effectively. Now, I know that you can't read the mayor's mind, and I'm sure if you could, you would probably be doing something uh, different than being alderman. But what do you think changed from, you know, March 23rd, March 24th to last Friday to where he went from that mentality to I'm not running for reelection again? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it certainly surprised me, as I think it did most people that are uh, uh, think we're politically attuned. Uh, first of all, he probably uh, uh, knew that if he decided to run because of his uh, ability to raise money, there would be not much of a substantial challenge. His, and, and quite honestly, no one's really mounted a substantial challenge to, to his uh, mayoral, uh, can, uh, mayoral seat. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a personal thing. I, I, I think that there comes a point when uh, maybe he just got tired tired of it all. And, and, and uh, I'm not a close enough friend of the mayor's. I don't have any inside information as to why he made that decision. But um, he certainly seems more at peace. I talked to him as recently as today, and it just seems like somebody took a piano off his back. Well, so. I wanted to ask you that question, because as, as Rachel and I have followed the Board of Aldermen, I've noticed that you have voted against many of his major initiatives, like you voted against the North Side Regeneration TIF, you voted against the stadium, you voted against the minimum wage situation. You voted against foreclosure mediation that came up a couple years ago. So I was, I've was i always wondered, are you and the mayor just not close politically or personally? Or do you just have a lot of philosophical disagreements to the way he's handled some major things that have gone well, through the board? I, I, I think the older that, that I get, uh, I, I was reflective uh, on, on all, all of those votes. And, and you're right. I mean, I have... Uh, uh, I've probably been about 0 for 4, 0 for 5 on most of his last major initiatives coming out of Room 200. He uh, and and I might add, uh, I was always on the losing side of those. I would, yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, so so no, I mean it, again, I I think uh, you know I I have to represent the people uh, in the 11th Ward, and and l- let's just take the. Uh, uh, I'll take the two big issues that almost everybody can relate to. The stadium was was a bad deal from day one. We weren't being we we did not have consenting adults talking like consenting adults. As a result of that, that just failed. The common sense test for me when the cities had so many other dire needs to pay any professional sports team, those kinds of dollars didn't make any sense. Uh, I think we've lever- I, I am thrilled that the, the NGA has opted for St. Louis, but boy, have we leveraged the house uh, to get it there. Can you kind and, of ele- and, elaborate on that? Well, sure, I can. I mean, uh, you know, we've borrowed X uh, millions of dollars against other existing buildings. And first and foremost, you know, you just can't take that billion dollar property or billion dollar plus property and drop it down into the. Um, near proximity of the former Pruitt-Igo site, we're going to have to spend multiples of millions of dollars on streets, on lights, on infrastructure. Uh, And, and, um, you know, sometimes you have to, the end has to justify the means. And in my early going, and we'll see, I mean, to this day, do we have any idea uh, what the Northside Regeneration people are going to benefit from that? I don't have numbers. I mean, when the NGA came in, 
when the announcement came down, I know that Mr. McKee told us as reporters that this is now our anchor development, that, you know, every big development needs an anchor. You know, there's obviously you can agree or disagree that he'll be able to do anything with it. That was what we got was now we have our anchor. Financers are, you know, they're going to come to us because they can see that we have a, a plan now. We have yeah. a building. And, and you know, I, I, it's easy for me to be cynical, but, but I mean, he has a track record that I, I will give Paul the benefit of the doubt. I think it's checkered as far as any of his projects or investments uh, reaching real fruition. So as a result of that, um, again, I, I'm certainly uh, pro-city, but, but I, I really think uh, all of a sudden the ground was free. No one has explained that to me yet, to, to my satisfaction, that we were gonna we had eleven or twelve million dollars tied up in the ground, and then uh, the people uh, over in um, uh, by the Air Force Base in Illinois, they they were gonna give them the ground. So we waited about two weeks, and we decided we just we'll just give them the ground. I I to this day don't understand how that works. Um, it may have to be something for the next mayor to deal with. Um, one, of the, one of the things I wanted to ask you is you ran for mayor in 1993 when there was no incumbent. Uh, Vince Shamel had decided against running for a fourth term. So you were part, I guess, of a four or five person field that emerged. As someone who's gone through that experience that is going to be similar to 2017, where there is no incumbent, what do you think the, the coming weeks and months are going to be like for the political community here now that I'm sure that everybody and their mother is thinking about running for mayor. Yeah. Well, it's it's certainly going to be uh, it's certainly going to be interesting, and and um, uh, you know there's an element I, I will tell you, and without naming names, and in, in the there were really three major candidates when I made my unsuccessful bid for mayor, but if you, when you tell the people the truth, they oftentimes don't really want to hear it. They would rather you get up and give them a serendipity approach as to what's going to, you know, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. And I, I think it'll be uh, interesting to see uh, whoever the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the protagonist in this race uh, uh, wind up being. But, um, you know, the, the cities are tough places to manage. Uh, even cities that allegedly work, like a Chicago, uh, look at the problems that that Mayor Emanuel is experiencing. That that you know you, you didn't think would exist in a city like that 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 so allegedly works. Uh, so you know we've got um, uh, the city of St. Louis is uh, not like any other city uh, in that uh, we really aren't a big city anymore. We've got some big city cost centers. Uh, to Mayor Slay's credit, he he. Um, uh, in effect, harness the fire department's pension system, and I think that is uh, uh, we we uh, uh, that will be I, I think part of his uh, legacy that really made a great deal of fiscal sense because it was an absolute necessity. But um, you know the, the 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 people in the neighborhoods understand what the problems are, and everybody's looking for that better quality of life. Uh, and 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 um, you know you don't know if you're looking for a change agent. The, in my opinion, uh, we, we certainly don't need a caretaker. We need somebody that's going to go in with a box of hand grenades and start to blow up some institutional thinking because it's time we start to blow up institutional thinking. I, I think we need to do it out of economic necessity. What, looking at the experience you've got in the city, both as 
president of the Board of Aldermen, a state rep from the area, and now back on the Board of Aldermen. What are some of the main areas that you think a somebody needs to come in and blow up the institutional knowledge mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of rebuild? Sure. I, I, I think uh, clearly uh, w- we need to explore uh, the, the crime situation. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you, you do that, uh, you know, nothing is simple. It's, it's easy to talk about it. We don't even know whether or not we need more police. We do know that if we need more police, then we have to find a way to pay for them. Uh, you know, you're going to have the the, uh, the you're going to certainly have the, uh, the the body camera issue. Uh, unfortunately, uh, St. Louis continues to be haunted by a very divisive uh, racial divide. So you, you, the, the the mayor's office becomes a balancing act between one side of the city and the other. Uh, we, we really need to work on attracting new development, but we have to try to attract new development that goes on the tax rolls. I mean, as, as goofy as that sounds, and, and you know, that gets back to uh, the, the, the I, I am hopeful that the next mayor really concentrates on attacking some of these bigger problems like road funding from the Missouri General Assembly, um, you know, like... Uh, uh, I mean, look, look at the, how we handled the uh, now ill-fated Ram Stadium situation. That was absurd on its face. You've got the richest, most populous county in the state deciding not to participate? Well, come on. I, I got to chime in there sure. because they didn't necessarily decide not to participate. They basically were taken out when the county executive said that the participation was contingent on a public vote. Yeah. Now, you, some have made the argument that that was a way for them to get out of it in a roundabout way. But for, for, if I have to take County Executive Steve Stenger at his word, that's one of the reasons why they weren't involved. And the mayor of St. Louis obviously took a different posture because there was no vote publicly when that money was gone out. No but vote con- in the county either, though. But, but yeah. continue. Yeah, but well, there were six or seven of us that, that, that sent the stadium authority a letter saying, hey, we want a public vote. I mean, uh, to, to say that some of those judicial decisions, although limited in scope, were folly, they were, they were I, I think, kind of failed a common sense test. Right. But to your point, the relationship between the, the regional leaders I mean, uh, we're, t- we're talking about uh, an increase in the sales tax for the zoo. Right. But you, you better have a good relationship with Steve Ailman, and you better have a good relationship with the executive, county executive in Jefferson County because that's where the growth is going. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's just really, really important uh, that, that uh, we create regional support and attack some of these problems regionally. I think we let the Missouri Department of Transportation um, I don't think we get our fair share of those road taxes back. I, I spend half of my legislative life talking to myself, trying to bring some more money back for the city of St. Louis and our and our transportation needs. But th- those are all things uh, certainly uh, that that uh, that need to be addressed from a regional basis. Look at the Uber situation. Here we here we go again. I mean this it's a you know that it's it's a changing world. Yes. And and the, the next person is going to have to have. Uh, be creative and, and have an awful lot of energy to deal with it. Now, l- right after the mayor made his announcement on what was supposed to be my day off, and I'm not complaining about that because it was a big event, I compiled a list of 10 people who I thought could possibly run. Some 
are more placeholders for archetypes of candidates. Others, I think, are probable candidates. I'll read out some of them right now. For example, there could be a business person or an attorney that runs similar to how Sly James ran in Kansas City. One person I threw out was Jerry Schlichter, who's an attorney who dealt with the historic preservation tax credit. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, the police chief archetype. As in Clarence Harmon ran in 1997, there's been a lot of talk. Sam Dotson might be a candidate. Whether he's a successful candidate or not, especially with the crime situation, remains to be seen. And then there are the elected leaders in, on a state legislative, on an aldermanic, and on a citywide level. Some people that have been brought up include Jamila Nasheed, a state senator, Alderman Antonio French, who's an alderman, Alderman Shane Cohn, who's also an alderman, um, Lida Cruson, Lida Cruson, an, al- an alderman. alderman. Uh, Board of Aldermen President Lewis Reed, I think, is likely to get into the race because he was in there last time. And then you have, I think, um, some of the heavy hitters that have come out, which include Darling Green, the comptroller, who I don't think has ruled out a run yet, um, St. Louis uh, Treasurer Tashara Jones, and s- somebody who you know well, Greg Daly, the collector of revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to play a clip now from him because I talked with him uh, right after the announcement about not only about how he goes to tons of events and is well known throughout the city, but the fact that he is an excellent fundraiser and that could be something that could be important in this race. This is what he had to say about his fundraising abilities. My ability to raise money has always been a strong point of of my political career, simply because I've been doing it for a long time. And uh, it's something that... uh, I, I think I do know the members of the, uh, the corporate community. They know me, and I think that has been advantageous for me in in my uh, plight to to raise money and for for whatever position I, I I plan to run for. So you've known Greg Daly for a long time since he was a student. He was an aide of yours. Um, he's a very well liked individual, and he has six hundred fifty thousand dollars of cash on hand. Is at this point, is would you consider him a top-tier candidate to be mayor at this point? Sure, because uh, there is no substitute for money, uh, and, and that gives Greg, in my humble opinion, a, a, a leg up. It'll certainly take more than just having money. Uh, someone you left out, I, I heard this morning, Jennifer Joyce. I don't know whether she's decided to unpack her trailer uh, and, they were, and go traveling now <laughs> that this has happened or, or, or not. I, I, I don't know. No, it, it's, uh, you know, there's a myriad of personalities there. There's a myriad of uh, certainly in, uh, strong points and weak points with all the people you mentioned. And, um, uh, you know, any time that uh, the Room 200 has been occupied by the same person for the duration that Mayor Slay has served, uh, it's going to cause... Uh, it's going to cause an interesting scenario. Do we need to we, – we've heard a lot of, you know, kind of like family businesses, politics. You're part of the political family. Mayor Slay is part of a political family. Jennifer Joyce is part of a political family. There's a very insular nature to – Tashara um, Jones is part of part a political, of political family. family. You know, there's a very insular nature to politics, I think, in any city. Going back to, you know, blow it up, the you know, that we need to blow it up, do we need – to bring in someone that isn't part of a political family or the sort of political infrastructure in the city. I don't know. Well, the the people will ultimately speak to that. I, you know, it's not always. Uh, uh, you know, the three of us in this room probably understand that. I hope we do a whole lot better than most people. Uh, I can cite for you Bruce Rauner. He was a businessman that was going to go in, and he was going to you know change the course of the time. In, in the state of Illinois, but he had never met Mike Madigan. 
uh, Mike Madigan is probably, uh, you know, in, in, to, to Tom Vella, Mike Madigan pretty much runs Illinois. He, he does. I believe he has been speaker literally <laughs> before I was born. Yes. Except yeah. for one stint in the 90s. But yeah, and, and I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Rauner as a business person understands that first and foremost, and and I'll impress your listenership, you know, I took in my uh, three weeks at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard, and that was three more weeks and I belonged at Harvard. But I took a course on why you can't run government like a business. And you can't. You you can't. If Vela Lighting has a whole quarter of a storeroom full of F96 T12 Cool Whites, we can put them on sale, take a loss, and get the heck out of the F96 T12 Cool White business. For our listeners, that is a reference to the very successful uh, lighting company (laughs) that is based in St. Louis that is run by members of your family. My brother Jack has Vela Lighting. That's correct. But But to my point... Uh, you know, here, if, if the city of St. Louis didn't have to deal with crime and we could take all that money from the police department budget and spend it on infrastructure, we'd have a lot better infrastructure. But, yeah. but we can't. Well, you mentioned the racial divide, and race is, is a huge factor in St. Louis politics. Um, it was the last election where Lewis Reed, an African-American candidate, swept throughout the north side but did very poorly in the largely white southwest side and south side. You may have a situation now, there's a lot of candidates on the table. And, for example, if Greg Daly and Sam Dodson both run, they'll be competing basically for the south side since they both live there. But they could also be going for the central corridor. And, you know, there could be candidates who are African-American who may try to appeal at parts of South St. Louis, which are becoming more Mm African-American. So that's a very confusing explanation there because a multi-candidate field may kind of split up these different areas. But... How much do you think race will be a factor in this, especially if if a lot of different candidates of, of different races end up no. end up running? No. Well, race is a factor. We you, we can uh, you know you can gill that lily if you want, but the fact of the matter is, uh, historically speaking, uh, you know America votes along you know not America, but St. Louis City votes along racial lines. Having said that. Uh, I think there are some candidates. Let, let's take, let's take, let's take Greg Daly and let's take Tashara Jones. Right. They're both attractive candidates, mm-hmm. in 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 my opinion. Uh, you know, not only physically attractive, but you know they have a, and and they both work, uh, work the city, pretty well. For example, uh, I just want to piggyback on that point. Tashara Jones is when she was in the state house had i think she lived in shaw or the south side but her district went north south so mm-hmm. pigeonholing her as a quote-unquote north side candidate would be inaccurate and i think she's going to be trying to appeal to not only north st louis but also the central corridor and parts of south st louis which makes her such a strong candidate but yeah, continue. And, and again we well we have uh um you know there, there are. Uh, it, it really what we, our mentality here is that we have kind of 28 islands, so that 16th ward is its own island. When in fact it, it is not, but it kind of votes like its own island. The, the it 28th is the mighty ward, 16th after all. Yeah, but but the 28th ward in the Central West End, which is probably the single most affluent, I, I guess. Uh, you know, they, it, it, it's um, and then you, you look at uh, Alderman Moore's fourth ward where there's really, you know, uh, you know, dev- there are a lot of areas that are just simply devastated. So so it, it's um, w- we've got a, a, an interesting mixture 
of problems. Are they insurmountable? No. Uh, we we uh, we talked off air about uh, the the fact that the city of St. Louis St. Louis voters uh, we could go Tuesday, you know, really bucked up and I think made some good investments in the city's future. So uh, whoever the whoever he or she is as the new mayor, I think that really gives them a pretty good platform to work from. But uh, boy, there won't be uh, there. There's no such thing as an easy day. Um, uh, dealing with the plethora of problems that we have. Is the fact that there's no incumbent mean that the race could become less contentious because people are going to be talking about their ideas for the city and not necessarily attacking each other? Or is it going to be more contentious because that's just the nature of a competitive open election? And I ask that as somebody who went through that. Oh, I, you know, I, I think we'll have to, to, to see it evolve. Uh, Any time that you've, you've, you know, you've had previous elected experience, some of those individuals we mentioned have and some haven't. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the nature of the beast. Most of the time, uh, elections are contentious. I mean, let's, face, let's just look at what's going on at the national level as we speak. It's, uh, you know, it's a kind of an integral part of the recipe of, uh, of winning elections. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of, um, unless Jason, you've got kind of a place to, to take this as well. I wanted to kind of have a, a little fun here, move away from sort of the, you know, this is how the city needs to solve its problems. There are some a couple of things that watchers of the Board of Aldermen will have noticed about you. And number one is, is um, your colorful fashion sense. I believe there's been debate on Twitter sometimes about the shade of purple that your, your jacket is. And I was just wondering how you kind of claimed the niche as the clothes horse of the Board of Aldermen. Uh, lack of competition uh, would, would be my uh, subtle answer. I, you know... Uh, uh, the late John Britton, who was the to me uh, my dear friend and a lobbyist for Anheuser Anheuser Busch, to quote him in his <laughs> uh, uh, Harvard accent, uh, was the lobbyist for them. Uh, he and I used to um, uh, thought we were well dressed, and as a result of that, uh, and it comes with the older you get, you accrue more clothes. So um, you know, it's 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 it is it is what I it, it is what it is, and and uh, I, I try to um, try to make a, a decent appearance, and and um, I'm I'm as an institution, I'm very proud of the board of aldermen. Uh, my family and my nephew was there for 14 years. My it was my dad's whole life, and uh, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're kind of getting away from an actual dress code, which bothers me, but we don't have it in the rules, so. And the other thing that I've picked up on is you and uh, Alderman Scott Ogilvie of the 24th Ward have, I don't know if it's a friendly rivalry that goes on. There's definitely some interesting dialogues that the two of you will have in in questioning. And I've always been fascinated by by that dynamic and kind of what drives it. They're, They're always enlightening and they're always entertaining. I've just always kind of wondered what's behind those back and forths. Well, uh, you know, Scott is the new breed. Uh, I enjoy uh, uh, conversing with him on the floor of the board immensely. Uh, I, I think he is, uh, he's a bright young man. Uh, he just comes from a different generation with a different drummer. Uh, you know, I, I have a, a fancy long black car and he rides a bike. Uh, he has an earring in his ear. I don't. Uh, it's a generational thing. And, and uh, I, I have the utmost respect for him. Uh, I think he is, uh, you know, one of the, uh, you know, 
for as short a time as he's been there, I, I find him to be a, a guiding light on some of the bigger issues. I don't agree with him all the time, but then again, I seldom agree with Room 200. It, there's been kind of a infusion of youth in the last couple of years and maybe the last election cycle. You have Jack Coder, who mm-hmm. I think is not even 30 years old yet, and he's being brought up as a mayoral candidate. Um, Kara Spencer recently unseated Craig Schmidt. Um, and then there Megan, are P- Megan Antonio, Green, Chris. And, and Antonio French, uh, Chris Carter, Christine Ingracia. I've been I, I've listened to interviews on, for example, KDHX's collateral damage. And there's a lot of talk about how this is a cyclical thing. Like there's times when there's this infusion of youth that comes into the board of aldermen. Then it kind of goes away. And now it's back. Is that accurate, first of all? And what impact do you think that is having um, on the deliberations there? Oh, I, I think uh, I, I can't answer whether or not it, it's it, it, it's cyclical. But, you know, there 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 has been a, a fair amount of turnover lately. Uh, Phyllis Young held the seventh ward for a long time. Fred Wessels held the 13th ward for a long time. Uh, you know, the, the the sixth ward, there was an unexpected resignation. So, you know, that, that that's just that that is just going to happen when you're dealing with a board of 28. I, I find the new group, which I refer to as we, uh, you know, they meet in an office and they have a, they come up with a terrible idea whether or not we should have eight chickens, seven chickens or six chickens in my neighbor's backyard. And, and, the, and the we group, there, there, there's plenty of room for that. Uh, and, and, you know, as uh, again, I don't perceive the board of aldermen as a think tank. But it's probably the way I was raised. I mean, my primary role at the St. Louis Board of Aldermen, quite honestly, is is not to really initiate brand new legislation or change the course of time. It's to serve the people in the 11th Ward and try to get the city to spend our tax dollars as as best we can on their behalf. But uh, the new group has um, has, you know, they they've got. Uh, Bike paths. I mean, this is all the evolution of of cleaner, healthier cities, and you just have to try to keep an open mind, and that's why uh, I enjoy Ogilvy so much. Yeah. The other thing that I thought of just now that's kind of a very small mini trend is there are several current and former colleagues that seem to be on their way to the Missouri legislature. My alderwoman, for example, Donna Berenger, is likely to be a state representative after November. Fred Wessels is running in a contested primary for your old seat. I would imagine he's the favorite because he has a lot of name recognition, but I don't want to say that because there are three other people running. Did you like talk with them about, you know, maybe going from the Board of Aldermen to the legislature is kind of an in, a, a, an act of insanity almost? <laughs> or do you think no. that this is a good move for them? Well, I think uh, uh, having... Alderman Wessels, who is in a contested race, and Donna Berenger, who is also in a contested race on the Republican side. True. I mean, I think it's good that uh, they, in effect, not cut their teeth, but they, they at least have um, understand what St. Louis City and how, how much it vastly differs from outstate Missouri. Just let's just take gun laws. It's a different planet. It's not a different way of thinking. It's, it's like the outstate Missouri guys and gals on different planets and city people are. And we need, uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. It's very, very difficult to get your fair share from the city of St. Louis out of Jefferson City because of, um, 
you know, what we what we stood for up there was, uh, you know, uh, football stadiums and bad schools and crime rate. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're more than that. And, we, and the three of us know that. Mm-hmm. We've got, uh, you know, I, I clearly, in my opinion, the, the, the best city in this state, although not the most populous city. And uh, uh, as a result of that, we need all the help we can get in Jefferson City. Yeah, the reason I kind of jokingly said it was an act of insanity is both of those two people, Wessels and Behringer, were on what I would consider like the usually the prevailing side of a lot of bills because they were very heavily aligned with Slay. And they're going to be going from that type of environment to being in the super minority in the Missouri House. I know that when you went back for the first time or back for the second time, that is, I guess your first two years you were in the majority and then the rest of the time you were in the minority. Is that going to make it hard not only for them, but just anybody from St. Louis to really make a mark and fight for the city when the numbers are just that far down? Well, I, I think he can still be an impact player. Uh, in, in 2002, when Speaker Hannaway won, I mean, I treated, gave the speakership the respect that I thought it deserved and, and got along fine. But are you going to get your bills out? Uh, no. Uh, you're going to have to be able to do that through, through an amendment. It, it's it's going uh, to be difficult. Some people would say it's more fun. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't when you you know when you you know you, when you don't get your way it's not as much fun as when you get your way but I don't see that uh, turning around uh, during the tenure in the next uh, you know two four six years maybe it will miracles happen but yeah they'll they'll that that will be an adjustment for him but it, but it's still uh, it's still knowing that the city of St Louis uh, is. Um, has some needs that the state can help with, and and I think uh, both those people will be welcome additions if they're successful. If they're successful. My last question for you. You're up for re-election next year. Are you planning to run for another term? At this particular juncture, yes, I am. So there will not be another 11-way primary in the 11th Ward at this point? Uh, no, that's uh, when my late father quit. Uh, there were 11 people that, that, that attempted to succeed him, and naturally his hand-picked candidate won. So just goes to show you there's no justice. Yeah. Well, one of the things, obviously the mayoral race will be the top of the mind next year. And if, if the comptroller decides to run for mayor, the comptroller's race will be for sh- as well. But there will also be a lot of aldermanic races. Um, I know in the 16th Ward, assuming Donna Berger is successful, there will be an open race for that ward as well, as well as a lot of uh, zesty challenges, so to speak. All the odd-numbered wards uh, will be contended. Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. thank you very much for coming on this show. It was a pleasure and an honor, as always. Uh, For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Rachel on Twitter at... At Arlipman. And I'm going to take a wild guess and say that you're not on Twitter. Is that fair to say? It's fair. Yeah. He is not on Twitter. Send him a homing pigeon telegram <laughs> if you want to get his attention. Or go to sh- – don't, don't you have office hours at Schnooks or something like yeah. that? Uh, myself and Alderwoman Beth Murphy meet on Friday morning, uh, every Friday morning at 830. And it's really turned into kind of a coffee club. But uh, uh, pe- people find me, and I do answer emails. So um, – I, I uh, uh, you know, it, it's what it what it's what works for you, and and I seem to be doing uh, okay. So well, thank you very much for that, and until next time, so long. So long. Benny, you have been a real good friend, and goodbye, Boxcar Willie. 
I guess I won't see you again Here comes the train Homebound for Nova Scotia shore It's my last ride, my friends Ain't gonna hobo no more No one loves a hobo